on April 18, 1775, Paul Revere rode from Boston to Lexington to warn of the arrival of British soldiers. He started this ride at a small tavern on Union Street. This tavern's name was the Green Dragon. The Green Dragon Tavern was not only the beginning place of Revere's famous ride, but also the birthplace of American freedom. On this podcast, we will explore what it means to be American and how we can all be protectors of the American freedom our founding fathers fought for. Join us in our journey to rediscover what it means to be Americans. All right, guys, welcome back to another week of the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Aiden. Your fellow host, Tom. And your fellow host, Jake. Well, I hit the record button and I realized that there was no delay in recording. <laughs> so I was a little taken off guard there. But um, yeah, guys, we're back another week. Um, I, I nearly, you know, I nearly died last week, I think. Um, last week's live podcast took a toll on me. I think it ended up being, I, I mean, I posted the total. It was like four and a half hours of recording, I think. Um, but, you know, I I got a little too excited and I think we went in a little hard. The next day, I didn't tell you guys this, but the next day I was at work and I kid you not, at about noon, I was like, okay, I need to go on my lunch break. And I was exhausted. So I go on my lunch break and I take a nap in my car. I wake up from my nap, I get back to my desk. 30 minutes later, I'm having like a full one. I don't know what happened to me. My, I was, I, I lost like, I think it was, I, I'm blaming it on the election. I lost feeling in my fingertips. I was dizzy. I like couldn't breathe. It was, I thought I was having a heart attack for a minute. <laughs> and so I, so I had to, so I had to leave work. I went down to the, the, um, the urgent care. And I was like, something's wrong with me. Checked me out. They did like every test in the books. They had me on a, like an EKG to check my heart and all that. And they're like, no, you're fine. They did blood tests, everything. So I'm fine. I'm calling it a election induced um, heart failure. Heart failure. <laughs> um, <but laughs> I, I think that was the. I think that was the primary cause. But yeah, I mean. Uh, I don't know. I last week was a bit of a disappointment. I, um, I really assumed that we'd get some, we'd get a good a good turnout. People would come out. People would come out with their, I like to call it the common sense caps on, their thinking caps, maybe. And it and it didn't seem like that was the case. It seemed like we kind of got the opposite. Um, as the night went on. I had more and more glasses of wild turkey whiskey, and it felt very reminiscent of the 2020 elections. <laughs> As I watched, I think Jake, we made several comments on it during the live show, but it was like, as the night went on, you could see the states that you knew were going to be the contentious ones, Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, you could see the the total vote counts coming coming back as like 40%, 60%. And everything else was called and you were just like, oh my gosh, we're going back to this this um 
week-long process of calling these elections. And I mean, that's what it's turned out to be. I mean, I don't, I don't know where it sits right now, but I think as of yesterday, uh, November 14th, they finally called Nevada. Um, and Nevada went uh, blue for the Senate. Um, Arizona went blue as well. Georgia's in a runoff. So December 6th, they'll have a, um, a runoff election. And I think as it currently sits 49 seats, um, the Republicans have 49 seats, Democrats have 48, and um, there's two independent seats. So it's pretty much lost at this point. There's no, there's no way for the, the Republicans to hold majority in the Senate. Um, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong there. I think Alaska still hasn't been called yet. Um, it'll go Republican either way. The two front runners are Republican. Um, but that leaves it at 50. 51's needed for majority. I think even if Georgia's won, does that even mean that we have majority? It does not, unfortunately, because I think even in the event Herschel wins and it's a 50 to 50 tie, mm -hmm. I think they have the vice president. That's what I thought. Okay. Kamala, which is the tiebreaker. And um, yeah, cackling Kamala up there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't trust her to make any decisions. So I in think our... that's, that's the same, uh, the same as it was in 2020, right? Yep. I think it was yeah. a 50 to 50 tie. And, and that's if, and that's if Herschel pulls it off. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. seemingly, I mean, if we're, if we're basing this off of, um, yeah, if we're basing this off of the other results, I'm not too confident in that. Um, yeah. 2.4% of the vote in the Senate race in Georgia went to a, a third party libertarian. That was annoying. So that was annoying. Um, I don't know which way that 2.4% will swing. That's the tough part to kind of gauge is, is okay. Now that you have the runoff, where does that 2.4% go? And that's not a big margin. So even if, let's say Herschel pulls 2% of that 2.4 or sorry, if he pulls, you know, the majority of it, let's say he pulls 2% of the 2.4. Um, I, I don't know if that's enough to even combat election fraud. I really don't. Even in a state like Georgia that has very high election um, reform. I mean, comparatively to a lot of other states. Yeah, I had I had high hopes for Georgia after that their mm -hmm. election reform you just alluded to. Um, I was thinking that would be, I don't know, I guess kind of a test to see to see yeah. whether or not the reforms really worked, if they're mm -hmm. really legit, or if it's just a just a mask to cover up uh, what's what's really going on, what they're going to continue to to try to pull off. So. Yeah, as of right now, it looks like kind of the same, same uh, pattern that 2020 followed. It stopped. The vote count stopped right at about 60%, started to stall. And then I think Herschel was in the lead for he a, was. Brief, a brief moment around that, that yeah. time. And then mm -hmm. after that, it went pretty steadily. Um, yeah. Warnock's way. And 
I think the interesting thing is, is so obviously you could argue that, okay, with mail-in voting being bigger than it ever has been, obviously this could, that could contribute to this. But with that being said, even if that's so, it seems very suspicious that in almost every case where you have these very close elections, these very, very close states that are very contentious, not only does that state take nearly a week to decide on who's won the election, but it, it, it seemingly always ends in a Democratic victory. It, it just seems too good to be true that when you get I mean, I, I mean, I don't know what the odds are, but when you have five states that are very close, when you're talking Pennsylvania, I mean, if we looked at the really close ones, um, Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, Pennsylvania, I mean, those four right there. I mean, at this point, three of four have gone blue. All three were very close in margin. And all three kind of had this stall. And so it seems, I mean, I get that, okay, as the numbers, as the number is, because the numbers are closer, they're going to spend more time counting to make sure they have proper counts. It should not take that long. It just seems, it's something seems off there. At the very least. Something's a little, something's a little fishy. Yeah. It's like, why just in the last couple of years? The technology is as good as ever. Yeah. Why I mean, is it? Why is it taking so long now? And and here's the here's the deal. I mean, election fraud has always been a problem. I'm not. It's not a new thing. It's always been a problem. Um. So I'm not saying that we've never had election fraud, but it seems like we should be getting better at preventing it as technology increases there's no reason like you you shouldn't i mean you shouldn't have to show your id not only that but scan your id at the very least to go vote i mean if you've got to scan your id to buy a bottle of whiskey or buy yourself a cigar then why the heck do you you know why the heck do you not have to show it when you go to vote i mean it seems pretty straightforward and common sense to me but somehow voting um, has become this issue where we've deemed it, I mean, it's, it's, it's all been a ploy to allow more opportunity for fraud in our elections without identification to vote. You see it in states like Illinois and, and whatnot, but I mean, until that's fixed, I really, I don't see a lot of hope. And um, yeah, I was really hoping that we'd get a big turnout and it would be big enough. People would really change their minds. So it would be big enough that no fraud could really do anything. I mean, like I was kind of hopeful that it would just be, a, like they said, a big red wave and people would show up and, and, and let it, and let the government know how they were feeling and I, I don't think that happened. I think uh, either people got cold feet, which I feel like is true because I feel like we'd have more outrage right now if people had voted red and and we're seeing this. Um, and I think people, yeah, I think people got cold feet. 
And I think that was largely, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for it, but I think a lot of people got cold feet as far as voting read this election. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate because now we're stuck with these idiots for another two years. Part of me kind of wonders how, how great an effect the student loan forgiveness had because as, as the voting, as the demographics are starting to come out, it looks like Gen Z, so voters um, between the ages 18 and 29 mm-hmm. voted heavily pro-Democrat, and, more so than any other, any other demographic. And funny enough, moving on to some current news on that, um, there's actually the Supreme Court, I think there was a court, it might have been, I think the Supreme Court's taking this up, I think they ruled that Biden's um, debt forgiveness plan is actually unconstitutional. And this yep. comes out right after the elections. See, this is a very contentious issue. Obviously, they won't want to bring it up before, but basically, they've admitted that their student uh, debt forgiveness plan is essentially they they they're not going to be able to do it, and <laughs> and 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 all these idiots out there. I mean, uh, for instance, uh, I think it was Arizona. Was it Arizona or Arizona State um, voted? I think it was ninety seven percent. They voted ninety seven percent Democrat on the campus. Yeah, yeah, three hundred and seventy students. Yep. Out of 9,000 voted Republican. <laughs> that was that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, this, this, oh this goes to a very critical point. Um, and I, I don't like when people say, well, Gen Z is a lot more, a lot more Republican or a lot more conservative than you think. Cause it's not, um, there are definitely, I think it, the people that are conservative are definitely much more grounded in their conservative thought than people in the in the millennial generation. I think that's true. However, I think the vast majority of Gen Z is extremely brainwashed and we're seeing this especially on college campuses. They're indoctrinated by the far left when it comes to a multitude of issues. I mean, we talked about um you know, the transgender issue a couple of weeks ago, I think that's definitely one of them. But I mean, we're talking about one of the most brainwashed, roll over, do anything you want generations of all time. I mean, I thought millennials were bad, but you could literally stick an iPad in front of any Gen Z kid, have a, a 30 second reel and brainwash them. I mean, it's, it's that bad. I mean, it's, there's very few people from Gen Z, even though, you know, we like to think that, you know, they're entrepreneurs, they're on TikTok, they're doing this and that. They're really just monkeys doing tricks. And that's really all they are. And if it doesn't, and if it doesn't lend instant gratification to them, it doesn't matter to them. And so when it comes to stuff that's actually important, it doesn't matter. So I think that's what I think that's especially what we saw in this election. I think people really did think that a lot of the Gen Z was going to get out and vote red. But I think there's enough. I mean, they're just they're We've created a society that's completely, um, completely and utterly um, manipulated. You know, we're we're so easily manipulated, and 
I don't think that's going to change anytime soon unless we change our our mindsets on how we raise our kids unless and, and, until we're taught to think independently from society and stand up for what we believe in there's there's really no hope you know it's interesting thinking about that because um there's so many stories coming out of like democrats just stabbing each other in the back hmm. And it's so surprising that like anybody is going to go along and think that they're having to care for them. Mm. So I don't know, maybe the Gen Z's just don't see it, but it seems like that they ought to. I mean, yeah. it's not like they have any promises that they want to keep with anybody. That's mm. for them. I think, I think one of the hardest things is that because Gen Z is really the first generation that has grown up with social media their entire lives that they're completely at the mercy of whatever the media spoon feeds them and so i think that's one of the hardest things is like while i think now more than ever it's pretty easy to read you know, read the, see through the charade that's going on in politics nowadays. I think now more than ever, if, as long as you look, but if you don't look and you just kind of, you kind of take everything at a glance, which I think social media really, you know, allows, um, allows well, I think, it, you know, social media is always at a glance. It's, you know, TikToks are all 30, what, 30 seconds? I mean, it's all quick, 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 quick. So if you're not paying attention and you're distracted and we're easily distracted now more than ever, I think it's, I think it's hard to, to focus on what's really important and see through that charade. All you got to do is spend a little bit of time and look, but if you don't spend that time, you're never going to see anything. You know, I mean, it's, um, yeah, I think yeah, it's it's frustrating because you just want to scream and you want to say, "Look, look what's happening!" It doesn't take a it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see what's going on, but if you don't spend the time to look, you'll never actually see what's going on. It's like running around with like a blindfold on. Yeah, I think to your point, that's um, the same could be said about news articles. Mm -hmm. most people don't take the time to read them they just see the headlines um which are usually like that tells that tells the narrative that they want you to hear the rest mm -hmm. of it is just is just fluff yeah no i i agree completely it's kind of the it's the clickbait culture and it's kind of um it's very it's very evident when you look at issues that require just a little bit more thought and uh yeah i mean that's why that's why people like joe rogan are important um matt walsh people that are actually critical thinkers that get out and speak in in long form and try to discuss things in long form and really try to work through things we need more of that now more than ever because people just i think in general aren't critical thinkers um 
detect everything at like first glance. So yeah, it's a little bit depressing guys. Um, there I were know. some, there were a couple, couple good, uh, outcomes though. Some positives yeah. that we could take out of it. I know Aiden, you dodged a bullet down there in Georgia. Oh my gosh. Actually, yeah. I nearly had a heart attack. Race. I yeah. think that was one of the reasons I was probably so worked up and probably had my, you know, mini heart attack there. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, um, for governor, Brian Kemp won. That's fantastic. Um, Stacey Abrams again. Uh, she was one of the Democrats that was, uh, I think, one of the most, um, what do you call it, funded candidates again, and she has been, I believe, in twenty twenty as well. When she, when she, I think, all the elections she's been a part of, um, she's actually been one of the most heavily funded candidates. Um, so again, she just proved that. You know, it doesn't matter how much money you throw at it. If you put, if you put a a lesbian linebacker up there, you're not going to get a vote. I mean, it just is what it is. Um, especially in the state of Georgia, you know, the people down here are great, you know, but they're not going to go for that. Um, so I was I was happy to see that you know that that pulled her. I I I can't tell you guys um, if if she would have won if. If I would be here tonight, I might, I might be like, I don't know, flying to Alaska or something. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I might be off the grid completely. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a great night. Um, obviously, another one, uh, Ron DeSantis. I mean, cleaned house, cleaned house completely. Um, so that was great to see. Um, and then I'm trying to think what else. Um, I think uh, Beto O'Rourke crashed and burned. Oh, he crashed yeah, and burned. Was, oh, guys. Yeah, that was great to see. Actually, speaking of like news, like um, governors uh, coming out with news after the election, there were two cases, very polar opposite, that I wanted to talk about. One was actually, speaking of Texas, um, Texas actually declared a state of emergency they declared an invasion on the southern border and so they will now be i mean i don't know exactly what this means i don't know what um precedent this gives them but i mean i'm i'm, I'm assuming this is good especially for the the border crisis um so uh yeah i mean it's 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 big news it obviously came after the election which you know this is one of those cases i think is probably a good thing um because I think it, you know, could it have affected the votes a little bit? Maybe. Um, although I think most Texans can probably agree that, you know, they want a secure border. Um, so Greg Abbott came out and um, he announced that today. We'll see what goes on there. But I thought that was pretty interesting that they declared an actual, um, yeah, an actual invasion of the southern border. I think that sets um, a lot of precedent. I think it lights a fire under um, Washington's ass to, to figure out, you know, what they're going to do about that, where their stance is on it. Obviously, they'll probably come out with the exact opposite stance of Craig Abbott. But, you know, good for good for the Texans. 
they got a big win and and they're coming they're coming out firing right after that big win, which is I think what needs to happen. Love to see it. Me too. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got LA, um, which is already telling its residents to start wearing masks again a week after the elections. <laughs> it's funny that 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 they had to wait till after elections to start yeah. doing that. Yeah. So yeah. if you if you're if you're in California, if you're in LA, and you were dumb enough, if you were stupid and ignorant enough to vote for a Democrat, this is your karma. I mean, really. I mean, you deserve to be. Um, to be locked in a, a COVID holding cell um, with uh, your mask on and in your, what is it now, your 15th booster shot. And um, yeah, I mean, you just deserve it. I mean, you should have seen it coming. I don't know why you voted. I don't know why you would have re- uh, voted Democrat. I mean, it just seems pretty common sense to me. Yeah. And you know, get get ready to see a lot more radical measures than that oh, being yeah. implemented. Because I mean, think about it: the last two years with all they got away with. I mean, they won. Mm-hmm. Plus the fact that there was, they didn't even have to. They didn't even really need the house. They just needed it to not end in a landslide for them. Yeah. the entire elections. I the, yeah. yeah yeah. I mean, yeah. now that just sets a precedent for them to take even more even more drastic measures of um oppression really mm-hmm. up oh. out here in uh illinois i know pritzker only again only two days after the election is talking about like a total ban on all um ar-15s uh-huh. i was worried about that and it seems like that's going to be a big issue here coming in the next few months i think they're going to push for another federal ban Man, these idiots think they can do anything. Um, we'll see what goes on. I mean, we'll try to keep track of it as much as we can. Biden's already getting back up there on the pulpit like he's, I don't know, he's getting excited like he won a lifetime supply. I mean, not that his life is going to be much longer. A lifetime supply of ice cream cones or something. I mean, he's up there jumping around like a, yeah, like a, I don't know. Well, the 80-year-old with dementia that he is. I mean, really. Yeah. No, his his cognitive decline, I feel like, is getting just more and more obvious every day. Oh, my gosh. Every day you see a new video of him misreading the teleprompter. Like, he can't even do that now. Just just reading off of the scripted. Oh, my gosh. It's horrible. Speaking of that. Did you guys see he met with Xi Jinping for three and a half hours? Three and a half hours. What the heck do you think he talked about for three and a half hours? Do you think he got past the first three minutes without saying, like, want to grab an ice cream cone? I mean, jeez, Louise. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know how they kept him in. How do they keep him in the room without him, like, wandering off? They probably saw, had they had the ice cream in there. I bet I that's mean, what it was. I that mean, kept him going. Yeah. I mean, jeez. I mean. I'm all for um, capital punishment and all, but that for Xi Jinping had to be like, you know, four four lifetimes in freaking hell. I mean, could you imagine sitting there with that old guy? I mean, it's like literally going to the nursing home to like visit somebody that is completely out of their mind that you don't even care about. I mean, I feel horrible for the guy. It's like going visiting your, uh, I don't know, yeah, 
I mean, it's, uh, uh, I mean, Biden was, I, I can't imagine what Biden was in there saying. There, there's nothing productive that came out of that. I guarantee it. He came out and he said he supports the one China uh, policy or whatever. I mean, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised he got that out. I mean, really. I don't know. The fact we sent him over there, you know, as much as he's our president and all, he should probably be the you know face of all this stuff. I don't think he should be going anywhere, especially China right now. Yeah, I can't imagine. I wonder if, um, like, that whole meeting, like how how sure Xi was about his mental state, like if he needed any convincing. Uh, well, well, here three hours in a room with him that'll give you well, give you plenty of time well, to, to well, him. <laughs> well, here, get this: not too long after uh, uh, Putin and and uh, she met, and actually, they um, this is crazy, guys. I wanted to get your input on this. Uh, a Chinese foreign minister said that after the the meeting between Putin and Xi Jinping. Um, says the country is uh, the, the Chinese foreign minister says a country is ready to contribute to the development of a multipolar world together with Russia and um, multipolar meaning that the distribution of power is between two typically between two countries so I mean right then and there I mean, this is like right after she and, and Biden met I mean we're talking right around the same time We've got China going out and saying that they want to basically run the whole freaking world with Russia as their ally. Yeah, it feels like uh, <laughs> like all the movies where the big, big communist powers unite, go mm-hmm. up against the uh, the U.S. or the West. Yeah, all that's uh, materializing now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it feels very. Um, feels very, very uh, um, reminiscent of uh, World War II, World War One. I. I mean, I think, I think the stars are sort of aligning here a little bit as we're starting to see. I mean, obviously, we've talked about it in the weeks previous with, you know, the Saudis um, getting involved with the Chinese, Brazil, India, all that stuff, right? But I think we're really starting to see, I think now more than ever i think Chasha, uh i just mix up china and russia uh china and russia are realizing now more than ever that they can walk i mean they can they can walk all over us right and and we're not going to do a, a damn thing about it and that's it's it's not good it's it's a little scary because I think they're, I think we're right at the tipping point and we've been sitting there for a while, but when you, when you've got two of, two of the world's greatest, um, the leaders of two of the world's greatest superpowers getting together and saying, we're going to create an alliance essentially to run the country, uh, to run the, to run the world. I mean, that right there should be a red flag. The fact that nobody's talking about it, also red flag. Um, I mean, that's a big problem, especially when you have China allying with Russia when Russia's currently involved in 
the cluster that Ukraine is. I mean, that's very concerning when you've got China backing Russia, which is involved in the whole war in Ukraine. And um, I don't know if you guys saw this today, but actually Russia had two stray missiles that hit Poland. Um, yeah, yeah, I did hear about that. And, and, it, and it killed, so right on the Ukrainian border, it killed two, um, two people in Poland. They had two stray missiles go out. And, and um, so I don't know if these missiles were part of the, um, the, Russia did a strike today. They did a, they had 80 strikes across um, the largest cities in Ukraine to knock out the power grid um, over the course of two hours. I don't know if these two missiles were part of that strike. It doesn't really matter though. Um, I mean, we've, we've now hit, I mean, this is, this is kind of what I was afraid of the whole time is when you have Ukraine in such close proximity to a lot of NATO states, Poland being one of them, it's only a matter of time before something, even if it's not intentional, goes wrong. And this is, I mean, this is how every world war started, right? I mean, something seemingly, I mean, this is how the first one started. Something, something, it's, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the match. It's the match that lands on the, on the, the pile of firewood with the lighter fluid on it. And so we already had the pile of the, the pile of wood. And then the, the whole Ukraine thing is like the lighter fluid, the gasoline all over it. This is the match. And so, I mean, I don't want to predict, I don't want to, you know, be the, the bearer of bad news here, but, you know, I kind of predict this is the tipping point. I think this is where we see, unfortunately, the world kind of fall apart in a certain extent, especially in Europe. I don't know if we'll see it here in the U.S., but I think there's no way Poland comes out of this and NATO comes out of this without very very serious measures taken against russia i i just don't see it i mean not only did missiles hit poland but they killed two people that's not going to go over too well and um yeah i mean i don't i don't know if you guys actually heard about that but that happened today i mean i don't think the media is really even talking about it that much i heard it from real news no bullshit it's the only place i can seem to get any news these days about that anything was, so that was your when you sent that to me that was the first i heard of it yeah so yeah same I mean, as you that's it's where I learned it's, it from. it's developing obviously um so we'll see what happens but i mean poland immediately called for an emergency meeting i'm sure there'll be an emergency nato meeting but if 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 nato i would be shocked I would be absolutely shocked to see NATO not tech take direct action against Russia after that. Um, especially with the, the heated grounds that have already been, I mean, I mean, it's, it's basically, I mean, we're already at, at war with Russia. I mean, well, let's not get it twisted. We're fighting a proxy war with Russia right now. Um, we just are doing it through the guise of using Ukrainian soldiers to do it. Um, but this is, I think this is the tipping point where we see everything kind of fall apart and the stars have aligned, you know, you've got China and Russia creating their alliance. 
you've got the West kind of setting itself in its ways, and I don't see a way out of it at this point. I, I, I was hopeful. I was hopeful that, you know, maybe there would be some de-escalation, especially um, considering the threat of nuclear war. But I can't say that I still feel the same way after today. Yeah, I saw yesterday Zelensky made a comment about, I think, wanting peace or something. So I'm not sure. I'm not hey. sure how, how this, the developments of today will change that. But yeah, he, well, I think part of the problem is, um, and this is why those 80, those 80 strikes happen, is he, he wanted peace, but he also wasn't willing to um, negotiate in any way. He said Russia had to completely leave the territories of Ukraine. So I don't know how that helps anybody. I mean, it's it's kind of, it doesn't make any sense. Why would, why would Russia just give up and back out at this point and, and not concede anything? I mean... They're going to have to, if, if you really think Russia is going to give up, you've got to give them something. And as much as that sucks, I mean, I don't know. I get frustrated because, I mean, I understand where maybe the, the, there's, you, you know, there's Ukrainian people out there that really truly want to have independence from Russia. But at the same time, when you're talking about, and this is the problem with it being politicized across the across the globe and with nato is we're literally talking about i mean quite possibly the future of mankind here over a stupid little country and i don't mean that in a demeaning way to ukraine but if the world's blown up over ukraine i for one will be a little pissed off I, I don't think it's worth it. And it's because our leaders are are stubborn. Um, they're greedy. You know, I don't think we'd be in this if it wasn't making us money. And it's clearly making us money. And, and we can talk about that in a minute with the uh, with the FTX scandal. But I mean, this is this is clearly a, a money grab. I think at the end of the day, it, it I think there's people out there that clearly saw this as a ca- like a cash pot. You know, cash cow just waiting to be, you know, waiting to be milked, so to speak. I mean, this is something that I think every um, politician kind of dreams of happening um, to take advantage of. So it's uh, it's a little disturbing. Not a little, a lot. It's it's very disturbing. Um, but yeah, I mean. Like I said, I don't, I don't really see a way out of this at this point. I mean, with this amount of escalation, there's really no way to back out. I don't think you can have two sides that just say, okay, we're done. I mean, I think if everybody like put up their hands right now, I don't think it's, I don't, I still don't think it ends well. Yeah. No, like you said, <laughs> it's too, it's too politicized and nobody mm-hmm. could look at it as objectively as you just did now in that that you know the world could be demolished over one country nobody will nobody yeah. on that on the nato level or the um the 
globalist international level will look at it that way yeah yeah i think it's frustrating because so um you know i i enjoy um i enjoy listening to joe rogan's podcast because he gets a lot of different people on and one of the people he had on recently um was graham hancock and i don't know if you guys have listened to graham hancock very interesting writer um talks about you know kind of our ancestry as human beings but um he just came out with a netflix show if you guys haven't seen it i i've literally binge watched it it was so good um it's called ancient apocalypse and it talks about how we probably weren't like we like to think our of our, our progression as human beings is linear kind of starting with the ice age and then moving forward but he theorizes that um based on um things that have been found that there was probably an ancient civilization that was uh, very, very advanced. And then it was wiped out by actually meteor impacts um, right before the ice age or right uh, during the ice age. And um, so it's very interesting to listen to, but one of the things he says, and I think this is something that applies in this situation is that we are so focused internally, you know, we're very divided as a world. And we should really be focused on the bigger picture here and that we're all human beings. We all want the same things really at the end of the day. And that there are bigger issues out there that could not only cause, you know, the end of one country, but the end of human civilization as we know it. And so why not, why not like join together and be worried about those things? Um, Because, a meteor impact could literally be like 50 nuclear bombs going off. We go through the same nuclear, uh, we go through the same um, stream of meteors twice a year that basically wiped out the dinosaurs and then wiped out this ancient civilization about 15,000 years ago. And currently right now, actually we're going through that same kind of section of that meteor stream um, that we went through the last two times it impacted the earth and created basically a basically a a, a new a, a, the the equivalent to like a nuclear fallout so why are we so concerned about you know these petty i mean this is kind of the the story of human beings we're so concerned about these these petty little wars we're fighting when we should really focus as as a as a as a world really you know what is our what is our greatest um what is our greatest uh, weakness as a as a society, and how can we and how can we fix it? And um, I think we'd be a lot better off if we work together. And this will never happen. But this is just this is just big picture stuff. But like, what would the world look like if we all worked together, right? If China, Russia, and and the U.S. all worked together, and and trying and we, I think oftentimes we. And I think this is because of like the tribalism that's kind of instilled in us as humans is we want to like, there always has to be a bad guy. You know, we always have to find the bad guy. And it's very easy to, to point to the, to the guy next to us or the other, whoever threatens our power as a, as our own tribe. I think it's very easy to point to them and say, that's the bad guy. That's who we need to focus on. Um, that's who's threatening us right now because they're the biggest threat to our, you know, power. And I think at the end of the day, we have to realize that 
it doesn't matter how much power we accumulate. We could literally be wiped off the face of the earth tomorrow if a, if a meteor decided to hit us. And I think that should humble. I think that should humble most people to think that like tomorrow we could literally be wiped out. And if we lived a little bit more, um, I don't know. Yeah. I think we could, we could all probably do better if we lived a little bit more conscientious the fact that our existence is really a matter of pure luck at this point. <laughs> I mean, it could be gone tomorrow. Yeah, it's really sad to think how little people are thinking about their future right now it just seems like it's just a game of like who can get the up on one on somebody else rather than thinking about the people that have to deal with these consequences mm -hmm. it's a very i think it's a very short-minded approach um and it seems it seems that seems to be i mean i don't know what you guys think but that seems to be the case i mean i think it's partially just human nature i think we i don't think we always look at the big picture i think a lot of times we're very focused on short term and um and especially now more than ever i mean instant gratification is is a, it's a big is a big thing and i think um we're seeing that manifestation of that we have no really sense of where we headed. It's just kind of like, okay, how can I, how can I get the most, make the most, do the most for myself right now? It's very selfish. I think that's a, I think that's, um, a big issue right now. And, um, I think it takes a, 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 a complete change of mindset to fix that. I don't think there's like an easy way out of that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, enough doom and gloom. Um, do you guys want to talk about, this is what I was thinking we could talk about for our main topic today. I know there's a lot of current news, but um, I wanted to talk about the FTX scandal because that's something that's been just, I mean, all over the news. I mean, we're talking all news platforms, we're talking CNN, New York Times. I mean, everybody's covering this right now. And I thought, you know, why not? why not cover it a little bit um kind of talk about it get some different perspectives on the mainstream ones uh, because i think this has a lot of implications i think it has implications towards what we've seen over the last few months with ukraine i think it has implications for our elections i mean this has this is probably one of the greatest financial scandals of our time and the and the roots it has in in so many other areas of um, 
our our political sphere it's a uh, it's it's a little bit scary yeah yeah it's so it's so unique because crypto it's um it's normal to have meteoric rises stunning crashes but for a company like this that was reputable and actually prided itself on transparency it makes it all the more all the more shocking that such a such a massive fallout could occur yeah i mean to put it in perspective this this was um invested and heavily promoted by i mean mainstream people we're talking tom brady you know was a, a was a investor and advocate of ftx so this isn't just something that's was kind of your i don't know like it wasn't like dogecoin right like when we're talking about crypto it wasn't it wasn't just something that was new and hot i mean this was something that was kind of seen as kind of the creme de la creme of crypto investing and yeah i mean it it kind of um revealed the charade um that a lot of people a lot of companies are able to capitalize on during these like gold rushes so to speak and i like to think of them as fake gold um because i think that's really what it is it's 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 basically you know in 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 the midst of this in the midst of this gold rush to crypto i think you get a lot of these wolves that want to come in and offer something that looks really beautiful um really amazing but they're they're just there to make make a dollar and even if their intention isn't to scam because they're there to make a dollar it doesn't matter what happens to the people that invest in them as long as they're making their money or or doing whatever their end goal is then it doesn't matter right and i think that's exactly what this this whole thing is and i think that's what's um yeah i mean it's it's amazing that it, it i mean the scale that this scandal is is absolutely incredible yeah it makes it leads one to wonder like what would uh what does the future hold for crypto after this because it will take a lot to regain the trust of the public because we're talking this was an eight billion dollar shortfall on customer deposits that they couldn't couldn't um couldn't redeem which led to the bankruptcy exactly um Tom, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I'm just going to give a quick rundown of this just so our listeners can kind of understand what's happening. So FTX, as far as I understand, is basically in the business of um, trading crypto, right? So FTX took roughly, I think right now, numbers are saying about $8 billion dollars in funds so so say you come to the ftx um, platform you're trading crypto you know you put a thousand dollars in bitcoin they take that money then right um and they give you the bitcoin back right 
So then they took those $8 billion, they funneled them through their own accounts into offshore accounts and, and they funneled them through different countries, including Ukraine being one of the big ones. They funneled them through all these different accounts. Um, they took them overseas. They basically laundered the money. I mean, this is one of the, the largest money laundering schemes ever um, seen in kind of like a, in, especially in crypto. Um, but they laundered the money through these these offshore accounts, and then they actually funneled them back into the Democratic Party to fund campaigns. And I mean, we're talking implications of throwing elections here. The, all those funds that went to Stacey Abram, we're talking those are. I mean, I'm I'm not saying those are funds that potentially came from FTX, but I'm saying that's the type of thing that FTX was funding when they funneled them back into the Democratic Party. Um, so we're talking about $8 billion there. I mean, that's a lot of money. So it begs the question, how much of that money going to Ukraine was actually a scheme to rigging midterm elections, if that was the case? I mean, it... It makes you wonder, I mean, how much of this money is, is going to line politicians' pockets? And at the end of the day, we have to realize that this is, I mean, like, this is, it's, it's, I mean, it's literally stealing out of the American people's pocket. I mean, that's the most concerning thing to me is that we, we have a company, um, you know, not only is the government stealing from our pockets, but now we have companies that are supposedly um, holding our money and investing our money for us that are literally stealing our money and are in cahoots with the political parties. And I think that's the scariest thing is that when we have political parties and these giant investment companies kind of in cahoots together, they're kind of, you know, scratching each other's backs, so to speak. And, and here we are, the American people getting absolutely ripped off and, and just kind of left high and dry. So that's kind of a, that's kind of a, that's my take on it. Um, that's kind of like my quick rundown, but, um, yeah, Tom, I'm, I'm really curious cause I know you're super into crypto. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Well, it's interesting because it, I think it points out a lot of the the problems with crypto when it's not done right. Um, I don't know if you guys heard, but Ethereum recently just did their big merge. And it, it took their old blockchain and merged it onto a new blockchain, but the in the process of doing that, instead of having a proof of work method, which it was, so that would be miners are the ones that are recording the blockchain and then whether it's Ethereum. No, it's proof of stake. So whoever owns Ethereum validates the transaction. So it kind of, Ethereum's not doing very well because of it, because now all the people that were backing the network and the security of the network with mining is gone. So essentially it's just running on whoever has Ethereum now. Um, so Ethereum isn't doing very hot. And then other cryptocurrencies that are similar to that, um, 
They're not really taking off as much as people thought they were. They would have. Um, there's been a lot of issues with the SEC. They're considering these crypto companies securities. Meaning that a person in charge of the crypto agent or company can influence the price of it. So then it's, it's not really up to the free market, which is technically like a stock. So there's a lot of legalities inside of that. Um, I think the one thing about this is it probably will hurt a lot of people's trust in that crypto is a good way to put, put their money. Um, I've been studying a fair amount of this and it looks like the best and the only real crypto that you should invest in is Bitcoin because it's a decentralized platform because it's been mined by so many people and is mined. It's considered like um, digital oil almost. So it's like a resource, like property resource. So you own Bitcoin, it's not necessarily like you're owning a stock of the company owning like quote unquote a digital bear of oil which then is determined by the free market and it's worth um bitcoin is very secure because in order to hack bitcoin you have to have over 51 percent of the hash power which would be billions and billions of dollars worth of machines but then it's still the probability that you I couldn't sustain hacking Bitcoin more than like 15 minutes is what they're they assuming. That's like the worst case scenario. Um, but uh, just to talk about that, the new quantum computers that came out, they estimated it would take them about 10 years to break Bitcoin's blockchain. So Bitcoin is really secure because it was made to be a decentralized secure network. But a lot of these crypto companies that are just popping up um, um, or ones that look like they were solid um, don't have a lot of the same protocols that like Bitcoin has. So well, this is kind of long-winded, but <clears throat> I think I think in a way it's a good thing and in a bad way and it's also a bad thing because it'll point out the problems with cheap crypto i guess you could call it but then Tom, we lost you there for a second Hey Tom, we lost we lost oh, you yeah. there for a second. Oh yep, there you are. Okay. Sorry, can you just repeat that last sen sentence real quick? Sweet. <clears throat> oh, um yeah. I think um I think this points out how like a true cryptographic idea is supposed to work, like Bitcoin. Mm. It's supposed to be secure that people can't um, so this would be evidence of one that wasn't built well mm -hmm. and being run by somebody who can manipulate what they want it to do yeah 
Oh, I totally agree. Cause I, I think, I think you, I think you nailed a really good point there is that crypto is, I mean, it's be, it's a beautiful system because it's decentralized. So, you know, you don't have the interference of the government here. I mean, um, and that's one of the biggest problems with the current currency, um, you know, kind of across the globe is, is these are currencies dictated by the, the by the governments at play. And, you know, I think if, if, if you've been listening to this podcast, I think a common theme is that nothing that's ever touched by the government is typically very good. Um, and, and the more limitations on the government, the better, right? So I think that's the beauty of crypto here. Um, the problem with crypto is that when you have something that's unregulated, there's always the off chance that you get people like this kind of um, wolves in sheep's clothes. I mean, that are here to, here to here to steal. And so I think it I think it puts the I think it puts the um, the onus on the investor to do the research on who they're investing with what is the best investment option and that's something that's absolutely critical i think now more than ever i think we like to have like these easy things like oh you should invest in this oh you should invest in that right it's not as simple as that you as the investor need to understand what you're investing in and i'm sure there was a lot of people that thought ftx was the right thing you're gonna make some bad investments and this is a great example of a bad investment and this is some a great example of um wolf in a sheep's clothes i mean this is this is exactly that right but this also shows you i think the thing for me that really stands out is this also shows you that the federal government if you allow them to interfere in an unregulated industry it just shows you how corrupt they are i mean this is one of the very few industries at the moment that they don't have their their kind of you know firm grasp on crypto is kind of still out of their grasp but they've clearly been able to manipulate this and use it as a way for them to make money and I think that's I think that's something you have we have to all have to realize here is that you know while this is you know a pretty upsetting situation we have to look at who who are the main perpetrators here and we look at the federal government so I mean the federal government really doesn't have anything to lose they 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 invest in this I'll call it a Ponzi scheme right they invest in this Ponzi scheme that allows them to basically make a bunch of money. And then what's the worst that happens? The the public loses trust in this in this in this new institution of cryptocurrency. And it's the only institution that they don't have control over. So what happens? They gain more control over it. They make more money out of it. So I think that that's important to realize because I think, I think, you know, a lot of people coming out of this are not gonna trust cryptocurrency and they're going to say, well, we need more regulation. It's just like everything else, right? It's just like when you have, when you have these, these gun issues, people say, well, we need more regulation to fix these issues. Does anything ever happen that's good when the federal government gets involved and regulates more? No. Why? Because the whole thing 
is all about government control. It, it's not about actually fixing the problem at hand. It's about how can the federal government maximize their power and maximize their control. So I think that's the biggest thing coming out of this. But you know, it it, it does make you as a you know it make it should make us all aware as investors that not every investment we make is going to be a good investment. But we should still have kind of the we shouldn't trust Tom Brady's word. I mean, come on, he's getting paid millions to do the ads, right? We should we should have done the back the background checks done the done the research the background research to know what we're getting involved in is something good and i'll be honest when i saw the ftx commercials when they got tom brady on i was like all right if tom brady's on there i know it's a gimmick (laughs) but (laughs) i mean there's no way they 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 got this guy on and it's not a gimmick you know they're they're making money somehow and they're stealing my money somehow i don't trust them yeah, we should have all listened to Larry David in the Super Bowl commercial. <laughs> so he's like, uh, no, I'm good. Exactly. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I think it's, 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 it's tough because it's like, it's like you want to be invested in these things that seemingly have a decentralized power like crypto right like i mean like that's i think that's the most attractive thing about crypto is is it's not controlled by a government entity but as we're seeing here i think you got to be careful about where you place your cards because a lot of these things even though they seemingly are um kind of a quote safe investment or seem like they're the the best bet to put your money it seems that everything the federal government has involvement in or touches goes to absolute shit so if if i if you know if you're gonna i'm not a i'm not a financial expert by any means but look for the um sectors that uh have the least involvement with the federal government, you should be okay. Yeah, you'll 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 tend to do all right with your money. <laughs> I'm not I'm not advocating tax evasion, um, but you know, do your best to give them the least amount of money as possible. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a reason the uh, the energy sector is booming right now. It's because uh, right now they're kind of. Public enemy number one toward in the government's eyes, um, but yeah, yeah, ones like that that don't have don't have any governmental stake, as you said. Yeah, I mean, look for. I mean, think about oil and gas right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, oil and gas is getting literally crucified by by our current administration, and um, and they seem to be doing better than ever. Um, I mean. Even if you look at companies like um, that, that would seemingly be against the current administration's kind of goals, right? With like green energy and all this, all this crap. Um, but like, if you look at like Maersk shipping, right? Maersk shipping 
probably you probably can't argue in any way that Maersk shipping is in any way green. You want to know what Maersk shipping's last quarter um, revenue was? Eight billion dollars last quarter for Maersk shipping. One of their best quarters ever. I mean, we're talking. I mean, this is the thing. Is is this kind of the the um, the untold story? Is that while our government is preaching green energy, blah blah blah, this and that, the world's still going on, and we're still pushing. Even though you know we're in a in a declining economy, it's it's one of the strongest. I mean, like the strongest demand cycles I think we've ever ever seen as far as products go and i mean it's very evident in shipping especially and so you know if maersk shipping is pulling in eight billion dollars a quarter in revenue right now i mean that's a i'm sure there's i'm sure there are little container ships that are running across the ocean aren't very green i'm sure they're not electric they're not all electric like biden wants them to be right so um <laughs> I mean, that's what's not that, you know, that's not making them the $8 billion a quarter. Right. So I think you got to look at these, you, you got to look at the big picture here. Obviously there's, there's, there's always so much smoke, right? Like the, the politicians like to blow smoke up, smoke up our asses to distract us from where the fire is coming from. And we should, we should really be looking, we should be looking at these industries that aren't heavily invested in by the federal government because they're really the ones that are probably the best off right now because they don't have that that government backing and um these 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 stupid sectors like freaking green energy and and um electric you know electric <laughs> battery production and electric cars and all these other things these are just i mean to put it in perspective, these are, I think these, I think the scary thing is that these are industries that maybe our politicians are the most heavily invested in. If you look at Nancy Pelosi and Paul Pelosi's insider trading, right? I think that's a perfect example. I mean, these politicians realize they have the power to manipulate the legislative um, structure. So they, they, they find these markets that they can invest in and then they can manipulate the legis, um, the, you know, they can manipulate the whole legislative process to make themselves millions of dollars. And then the, at the end of the day, it doesn't actually do anything. And um, I think this is the, I think that's the perfect example of here, what happened with FTX. I think, I think they found a, a little loophole to make themselves $8 billion to fund themselves in the, in the, in the, in the midterm elections. And they're like, you know, why not? <laughs> we're not making any money off crypto right now. Why, why, why shouldn't we make $8 billion to fund ourselves in this midterm election? And if anyone genuinely thinks that that $8 billion didn't have any influence on how these elections went, you're freaking crazy. I mean, seriously, if you think that all those ad campaigns didn't influence one single person from how they voted i mean really are, are you telling me that the seven trillion commercials i saw for stacy abrams didn't affect somebody you know or like the the seven i mean it seemed like 
I mean, I shoot, I'm still seeing them for Raphael Warnock because they're in that runoff. But the the seven billion commercials I've seen for Raphael Warnock in the last like two months haven't influenced anybody. It seems pretty preposterous to me. Yeah, it makes you wonder too. Like, hopefully. The judges that are contesting the elections might bring this up and say, well, if the Democrats are involved in this level of fraud to promote their own campaigns. It almost seems like that should disqualify them as running uh, nominees. That seems like I would stand to reason. So hopefully they take this as like some ammo to take against them because I mean, we were just talking about this in the beginning, like how much fraud has been happening and still happening right now. And there wasn't as much cleanup as it should have been from 2020. Mm -hmm. Hopefully this will show people that the Democrats really are as stinky as they seem. Yeah. Um, I'm... (sighs) Listen, I I was very disappointed about this midterm election. I still have hope that the upcoming elections, because of this, will be an even greater red wave. Um, just because of what you just said, I think that I think people will get to the point where they literally can't put up with this shit anymore. I'm already there, but how far does it need to push for the rest of America to be there? And I think it might, I hate to say it, it might take another two years of this BS to push the rest of America there. I, I hate to say this, but I think it might take a world war to push the rest of America there. I think that's where we might be in the next two years. Um, but I think, I think for America to kind of get together and say, listen, enough of this, enough of this internal BS, we need to figure out our own problems, but we also need to, to, to figure out how we can, um, to, to build up a base, to stand up against, to be a leader against the, the world superpowers like we were back in back in the four back in the 30s and 40s right i mean um we need to we need to regain kind of that stature in in global power and not in a way where we're going into afghanistan and (laughs) and getting involved in all this petty little bs where we um we mobilize and militarize these groups that become the taliban and groups that, you know, I mean, we've done this over and over again since the, since the world wars, but I mean, standing up and being a dominant force in technology production in military superpower. I mean, we need to, we need to get back to where we were and we've kind of fallen off the bat. We've kind of fallen off the, um, the train a little bit there. So I think it might take a, a, a kind of a world altering event like a, a third world war to get us back there and um, for for America to kind of bond together 
to say enough's enough, you know, who cares about all this gender ideology stuff? Let's really focus on what's really important here. And um and figure this all out. I mean, I I don't know if there's another way around it. I think the way it's going right now, I think it's inevitable. Yeah. Well, I wonder um, from different sources that the last war would be the war before the family. Mm-hmm. the final war. And it's mm-hmm. like that's definitely becoming a subject now. It's like, are you for the family or not? And it yeah. kind of puts you on either side of the spectrum. Yeah. That's a that's a great point. I think actually one of the I don't know did you guys end up listening to the Matt Walsh podcast with Joe Rogan? Yeah, so good. You guys okay, cool. Yeah. I think one of the really interesting things he brought up and this this could be a completely I, I know we gotta wrap up here soon, but um just kind of a final um thought here. But um one of the things he talked about one of the things I think came up without um I don't think they were planning on it coming up was the whole gay marriage thing. And, and Joe Rogan's argument was, you know, how does gay marriage, you know, affect your marriage as a, as a, a, as a a heterosexual couple. Right. And, and what's, what's the real issue with it. Right. And Matt Walsh's argument was essentially that the definition of marriage and how every culture seen marriage prior to basically now is that marriage the definite you know if, if you're not looking at this from a religious perspective even if you're not looking at it from the religious perspective it's still the definition of marriage the the whole point of marriage is the procreation right um and that's kind of built into the definition of what is marriage so if you take that out of marriage if you take the family out of marriage essentially tom to your point is the, the the attack against the family if you take the procreation part out of marriage it basically i mean and and i think joe rogan even kind of agreed with this it it makes marriage pointless right i mean then then marriage is useless right i mean marriage is just it's just a contract that you sign and and then who cares um and so i think that was matt, matt walsh's point is that if we redefine what is marriage um, if we if we allow gay marriage to be the same thing as a heterosexual marriage, you're taking out the procreation, which basically makes marriage pointless, and and that's what we're seeing today. And um, I think it's important, you know, where you stand on the gay marriage spectrum. I think it's important to recognize gay. It, it, you know, even if you even if you think two gay people can love each other, it's not the same thing. Even if even if they get quote married, you know, in in um, in civil law, it's not the same thing as two heterosexual people being married. Because I think one of the points Matt brought up is, you know, if we we're restarting civilization, we saw the coupling of two heterosexual people versus the coupling of two, you know, people that were of the same sex. We and we saw the procreation between the heterosexual couple, we'd probably call it something different because it, it has importance to the longevity of human beings. 
Um, which I think makes perfect sense. And that's, and that's even looking at this from a non-religious perspective, which I think is important if you're talking to a, a person that maybe isn't religious. I think you have to, I think there's two approaches to this conversation. Obviously, if you're talking to somebody that's religious, you can talk about it from the religious perspective. But if you're talking about this from a secular perspective or talking to somebody that's looking at this from a secular perspective, you have to approach it from, a non-religious perspective to to make that argument because it's it's pretty hard to argue with somebody that doesn't believe in in god right um based on an argument that's completely based on god's teaching um but i i thought that was really interesting because it it goes to your point tom that the attack on the family the family structure is is kind of this is kind of this final battle and as soon as we as soon as we remove the family structure from society this this um the nuclear family right as it's called um we basically remove the building blocks of all civilization to this point I mean, we're, we're not just talking about a, a religious idea here. We're not talking about religious ideology. We're talking about the structure, the building blocks of our human race to this point. Without the nuclear family, there would not be a human race right now. If we had gay couplings primarily gay couplings we would not be here right now because guess what doesn't happen in a gay coupling you don't get a baby out of that no matter how hard you try they could try all they want not gonna happen so i think that's i think that's something that's extremely extremely important no matter where you come from whether you're Christian, whether you're Catholic, whether you're Muslim, doesn't matter. We should all be focused on the same. I mean, this is this is the this is the this is the great battle, right? And and this is what's going to determine the outcome of the future. And if we continue progressing down this this kind of road of of um, progressive ideology when it comes to the family structure, whether it's through, you know, whether it's a gay marriage discussion, I mean, we're talking, I mean, abortion is a huge topic in that discussion as well. Um, I mean, the, the list kind of goes on. I mean, transgender, what have you, right? It all kind of lends into this, into this greater discussion of the destruction of the, the nuclear family. And, and people make a big deal about this. They say, well, you, you know, you believe in the nuclear family because you're Christian. I believe in the, the nuclear family because I'm a human. And that's the only way it's, that's the only way it's worked up until this point. So why the heck are we trying to change it? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I think you had it, Jake. Sorry, I think I interrupted you. Uh, no, I was just gonna say that it's like it's a symptom of 
the cultural Marxism that is prevalent in our society because the original model, um, Karl Marx's model was an upheaval of the existing societal structure. And his thought was the easiest way to do that would be have the proletariat take over the government um, and then have established their rule and then create his utopia. But now that that failed, as we saw with the fall of communist China in the 70s and the Soviet Union in the 90s, I think um, another form of attack is on the culture. So seeking an upheaval of the traditional values that, as Aiden mentioned, have stood for all of time until now. Um, and I think I would argue that that actually has had even more success than the uh, the more political form of communism and Marxism in that it's taken over. It's taken the world by storm. I mean, look at like the World Cup, for example. I don't know if you guys saw, but Team USA, actually, they their crest, their logo is going to be rainbow colored instead of the red, white and blue. So this is like the the soccer team that's representing us in the most watched sports tournament in the whole world is going to be pushing this progressive Marxist ideology. Um, but that's it's just a microcosm of how how prevalent the these um, the progressives have become these ideas and. <laughs> Like not not just our country, just the whole Europe, um, parts of Asia, really, anywhere outside outside the Middle East, really. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I th I would say that what Marx planned in the mid eighteen hundreds has really come to fruition, but in a much different way than probably he even anticipated. That was really well said, Jake. Yeah, it was. I think to your point, um, actually, one of the um, back during the Cold War, one of the biggest things that the um, the Russians were trying to do, and this is in a lot of the rhetoric. Um, kind of in these these manuals essentially to turn western culture was to destroy from within to indoctrinate the western culture i.e america right the u.s um in this battle this in, in this internal battle of of um political correctness um of gen through through ideas like gender ideology all this stuff this is something that we're talking about you know this is something they had planned out in the 60s the 70s right i mean this is something they had a lot of foresight in they realized that if you could destroy your enemy from within by destroying their ideas um their political ideas by turning them, essentially turning themselves on each other, that it would weaken the enemy to the point where you could come in and take over without 
basically any resistance. And if we're looking at 2022 America, I mean, this is, this is 50, 60 years removed from the Cold War. We're looking at exactly what they wanted, which is an America that has been weakened by internal turbulence of political ideas, um, the internal combat of issues like gender ideology um, to the point where we've weakened ourselves to not be able to protect ourselves from any outward threat. And this is very apparent, especially when it comes to our military and the weakening of our military, when it comes to the general population's outlook on national security. I mean, when we've got what, probably 99% of the population hooked on basically a Chinese espionage app, TikTok. I mean, we are um, the most vulnerable we've ever been. And largely due to the fact that the enemy has been able to corrupt us from within to turn on each other to make ourselves weak and that's kind of what i mean that's kind of how i'm kind of the lens i guess i'm looking at everything from everything that's going on today is that we've we've created this issue as americans We've let our government take control of way too much. We've given up our freedom. And we've let this Marxist ideology kind of creep into our society. And the only way to restore America to what it, what it was meant to be is to eradicate this. And not in not in a violent way, obviously, but it, it takes steps. And and um, Tom, I think you brought up a great point. This is a war against the, the the family. And if we want to make a difference as Americans, we need to start raising children that are firm in their beliefs, so they can bring up the next generation of people. Because, like I I think I pointed out earlier in the podcast. I think Gen Z is our greatest weakness right now because they're brain, I mean, they're completely brainwashed. And you wouldn't have that issue if you had a generation that was brought up with very firm ideals, very firm conviction. I think you wouldn't see the same out, uh, outcome that we're currently seeing. I think that's a direct, I think that's, I think that the, the, the destruction of our society, the destruction of our, our um, social structure is completely related to the destruction of the family. 
and the destruction of the destruction of um, just general morals and and um, and and children receiving or get, or yeah children being instilled with the the power to think for themselves and and not just be a, a cog in the machine so I think I think yeah I think that's the biggest I think if you look at all the world issues that that would be the biggest takeaway for me is that if we want to see a better future we have to start raising the next generation of critical thinkers um, and convicted convicted individuals that are willing to stand up for what they believe in so true I mean most if not all these problems came from at least when you look at like the guys who made these ideas like Marx, Hobbes, Kant, Rousseau they all had like this deep internal problem and instead of addressing it themselves and seeing why they had this problem they wanted to change the whole world to fix a personal problem and that's what it seems like happens so much now it's like with the Gen Z's or anyone it's like a lot of like pointing towards someone else and shouting for them to change like saying you caused this problem you need to fix it and all these things but there's no self-responsibility but that's seems like the like when i listen to old like radio programs or things from the us that was something that was really instilled in them americans was personal responsibility like dads would tell their boys like you're going to grow up and you're going to have to raise a family you have to know all these things in order to do it well now it's like all the kids just seem like they want everything to be given to them they want to decide their own gender their own life their own everything and if you try to combat that then you're thrown on the bus by everybody and the uh, institutionalized left so now i wonder the best way to really start to build back that self-responsibility um, understanding there's consequences for one's own actions on oneself and others and that in reality like you said Aiden, we humans all want really the same thing life and if you try to take away life then you just see the immense measure that comes about from it and maybe one of the best ways would be to show people history by one of the best ways actually to show stories of other humans and their what they did right and what they did wrong um the decisions that bad people made that caused so much suffering for others like i don't know how many times people were surprised when i told them that in soviet russia 50 million people died they're like what and i was like yeah that's like historical fact I'm like there's no way and it's uh, it's about 10 times worse than the holocaust but they don't know that because it's not told anywhere so yeah i think that's the danger 
and and I think that's one of the greatest dangers we're seeing is this idea that we can just erase history. And this is something that's propagated by our government, our leaders, even if they're not saying it, even if they're just using it through the guise of the institutions they put in place, that we can somehow just completely forget about history and um, and erase the past. Because if we erase the past, we have no reference for the future. We have no reference on all the wrongs that have committed been committed against us um, by tyrannical governments. We have no recollection of that. And it allows a tyrannical government to come into place and take over. The first thing that the Nazis did when they took over Germany, they burned all the books. They burned all records of history so that they could control history. If you look at China right now, they've controlled history. They've erased any portion of history that looks unfavorably upon the Chinese Communist Party. If you go to China, you will, I've been to Tiananmen Square. There is no remembrance of Tiananmen Square. You go there and the only time you hear about it is with people that truly remember that day. So when we see the, the government encouraging the, the erasing of, quote, racist, quote, um, uh, whatever it might be, right? I mean, there's been a lot of pushes for it in the last four or five years. When we see that, we have to recognize that while it might be a dark part of our past, it's still something that we need to remember so we, we know how to move forward. And, and um, the only way to improve our society is by learning from our mistakes. And I think the human problem really is not learning from our mistakes. And we're so easy, we so easily forget the mistakes we've made in the past. Whether it's accepting Marxist ideology, whether it's letting dictators take over, whatever it might be. So I think we need to learn from the past to prepare for the future in order to make a world that is prepared to take on the issues of tomorrow. Yeah, I don't have a lot else, guys. I'm getting pretty depressed over here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we, might need, we might need a lighthearted podcast next week. I feel like the last two weeks have sent me into like a... It's, it doesn't help that I'm getting like... A, what do they call that? What do the liberals call that? Seasonal depression? Where like you start... <laughs>
We start getting like depressed because it's like winter. I feel like I'm in a. I feel like I'm in a uh, a seasonal depression of uh, you know that election season. I feel like forever it's gonna scar me from the last like four years. I'm gonna have like a permanently scarred like uh, outlook on the outlook on the future of like from like. I think from like October maybe to like January, I'm just gonna be like screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I was thinking actually for our next episode that maybe we could like talk about the origins of Thanksgiving. Hey, I think that'd be a great idea. I know we've got the holiday coming up and um yeah. actually I got some I got some I got a pretty cool um idea. Uh, actually, me and Jake are probably going to be in the in the same town. I'm coming back to Chicago, the land of uh, homicide and and uh, gun control uh, for <laughs> for Thanksgiving week, and um, I'm going to be visiting good old Pritzker's uh, stomping grounds. So um, I'll be back. I think me and Jake are thinking about maybe getting together on Tuesday, and uh, and recording the podcast from the same place. So that that should be cool. Um, I think that'd be a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, I think, um, I think, uh, next Tuesday would be a, a great, I, I think it'd be a great, um, podcast for the origins of Thanksgiving, because I'll tell you this, the last couple of years, and it really pisses me off and I'm, I don't want to go off on another tangent here, so I'm just going to keep it really short, but there's been people out there. I will say they're liberal because that would, you know, I mean, you just have to, you just have to preface it with that, um, that, that somehow think that, you know, um, Thanksgiving is this, this, um, this horrible, um, holiday that celebrates our conquering of, uh, the Native American people and blah, 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 blah. So I won't go any, I won't go any further into it. We can talk about it next week, but I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot of misconception on on Thanksgiving, and I think there's a lot we can. I think, I think the general idea about Thanksgiving and and the reason that we we first had a Thanksgiving, is is what we should really focus on as Americans, and um, and all this other this other white noise BS that's going around on on Thanksgiving should should pretty much be ignored. Um, it's it's really not that relevant and. Um, Unlike they'd like you to believe, Thanksgiving is a actually a good holiday. Very good holiday. Very good holiday, and it includes a lot of good food. So, um, yeah, it it'll be uh, it'll be a good week to um, celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday, and um, I talk a little bit about it. But that's all I got, guys. Yeah. Awesome. Well, guys. Um, yeah, thanks for getting on. Thanks for, thanks for talking about all this doom and gloom this week. Um, to all you listeners, uh, go check out um, our Instagram, our YouTube. Subscribe if you haven't already. Um, but yeah, be 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 safe this week. Uh, be a good person to your neighbor. Be a good neighbor. Uh, but most importantly, be a good American. Be a light to this world. God bless you all. And we'll see you next week. Thank you.